everyone. You're listening to The Katie Helper Show, and I'm your host, Katie Helper. If you like the show, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show, where for just $1 a month, you can help make the show happen. And for $5 a month, you'll qualify for great bonus content, including an alternative podcast feed and rarely seen clips that aired on our live shows. And welcome to the Katie Halper Show. So glad to be here with you tonight. We got a great show for you. We have a real jam-packed show, a double whammy. First, we have joining us the Yes Men. They'll be talking about their latest hijinks. Then we have joining us Lee Camp. We'll be talking about his latest unemployment. As people probably know, his show Redacted Tonight is no longer. And because that was on the RT America network. So he's going to talk to us all about RT America, all about the situation happening right now with Russian media in the United States or the lack thereof and in uh, American media in Russia or the lack thereof. So we're going to get into that. But first, we're going to talk to the Yes Men. But before I do that, just some things to remind people of. I will be doing a call-in with Lee Camp right after the show. So that'll be at 8 p.m. If you don't have call-in, it's a free app. It works on both iPhones and Android. And the link is in the description of this video. We can put it in the comments also. And it's a way that you can ask questions. So make sure you check that out. Also, please become Patreon supporters. And I want to thank all the Patreon supporters so much. Got a lot of those. I think people are very hungry, thirsty for kind of an alternative view on what's happening in Russia, Ukraine. And so thank you for that. Um, And uh, keep coming. You know, if you can just afford $1 a month, you help make the show happen. If you can afford $5 a month, you get bonus content send interviews. So for instance, you get Yasha Levine talking about the Azov Battalion, who is, he himself is a, a Soviet American Jewish refugee immigrant who has a very interesting perspective on all of this. Also an extended interview with Katrina Vanden Heuvel. You can also become members at YouTube and you get special badges and emojis. And of course, please subscribe. It's free. You just hit subscribe and then the bell. And of course, press the like button. And these are ways that you can help support the show. So without any further ado, I'm just going to bring in our first guests, our first duo, the Yes Men. They are a hijinks performing duo who have impersonated Dow Chemical CEOs, Paul Wolfowitz, and representatives of the WTO, Halliburton, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, among other entities. They are the subject of a, an exhibit at the gallery that is called Carriage Trade, which is at 277 Grand Street. So if you're in New York City or in the tri-state area, you should check that out. That's at, again, Carriage Trade, 277 Grand Street. They have also made three feature-length documentaries, The Yes Men, The Yes Men Fix the World, and The Yes Men Are Revolting. So without any further ado, bringing in Mike Bonanno and Andy Bitchelbaum. Hi, guys. How are you? Great. Good to see you. Pretty good. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, thanks. Yeah, thank you. We met years ago when I was a student at Wesleyan, and Nina Felshin, who is a mutual friend, was a curator at Wesleyan, and she brought you to speak at the school, and I introduced you. So that was really fun. And then we hung out after I graduated in the city. But, you know, I introduced you guys as hijinks duo, but I want to know, like, how do you guys actually describe yourself? Usually, it depends who's asking. If you're asking... I guess you're a comedian, so we'll say comedians. Um, <laughs> no. A finance person. Yeah, finance people. It depends. Yeah, no, we, we, we usually introduce ourselves as activists who use creative techniques to, to achieve change. We're, you know, we, we use artistic or creative techniques, but not with an eye to what the art world thinks or, the, or galleries think, but, you know, what might actually spread messages in the media or achieve other kinds of change. Um, we follow in a long tradition of artists who have done that, who don't call themselves artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, to piggyback on what Andy said, we do have to kind of be chameleons because there's a certain um, segment of the population that you're just not going to reach if you call yourself an artist or if you call yourself an academic, or if you call, I mean, there's any number of labels that will immediately turn off a lot of people who might otherwise listen to you. So that's part of our goal is to start out with the the broadest audience that we can or the target audience that we want. 
And so then you, you can become whoever you need to be for the for for that purpose. And how did you guys first uh, hook up? How did you guys meet? Uh, a couple of friends introduced us actually separately. I had just done this crazy uh, hack of a. Uh, it wasn't a hack at all. Uh, I was working at a video game company, working on a predecessor to The Sims. Um, and I was just really sick of my job and added some gay kissing muscle men into the game just for fun. I was, you know, willing to leave the job and thought maybe this would help me to leave the job. And also it, it felt fun. Um, and it turned into a, a major international news story and it was, um, uh, kind of pointless <laughs> but it gave me the thought like what if one did that sort of thing on purpose uh with with an activist aim in mind and um and i was talking about that with with a, a couple of different friends at different times and um they both suggested i i connect with mike who had done a, a similar sort of uh monkey wrenching of of a corporate product um the Barbies and G.I. Joe voice box switcheroo. So that was the start. You're muted, Mike. Uh, not by the powers that be, but by yourself. Self-censorship, Ooh. yeah. Yes, I, I, I do that sometimes. Um, yeah, so yeah, and I, I had done the switch for the voice boxes of Barbies and G.I. Joe's. It was in 1993. And, and then when, when, uh, when Andy sort of called me up with another mutual friend and said, Hey, I want, I want to talk to you about this simcopter hack thing. Um, we ended up talking and then, uh, a couple of years later, he called with another project that he, he'd been working on, which was an anti-corporate corporation. I mean, at the time it was like a bulletin board for s f sort of like sponsoring anti-corporate sabotage. Um, but you know, it, at the time, uh, uh, it was a sort of a different era, you know, it was the nineties. And so, uh, uh, I think, it, it, you know, it, it got, it, the word terrorism was, it was in there, but it, that became a bad word shortly thereafter, <laughs> a much worse word. So, um, uh, but it was, it was a, a sort of a fun project to poke fun at corporate power, um, using the sort of trappings of a corporation, the sort of corporate veil and the sort of cloak and dagger, um, mystique to to create a lot of press about what was wrong with corporations. And so we worked on that together until we stumbled into being the yes men accidentally by basically deciding to to attend a conference as one of the the the, the entities that we've been targeting for a while, which was the World Trade Organization. And which hijink was that? That was in Salzburg, Austria. Yeah, I we had set up a, a fake website for the WTO just on a lark. It wasn't intended to fool anyone, really. It was just sort of intended to um, look like the d real WTO and kind of entrap people into reading more from our satirical um, text about the WTO and, and what it what it's about from the first person. Like, we, the WTO, have this, you know, it was like it, just classic satire. But um, but uh, this law conference in Salzburg, Austria, accidentally um, con contacted this website and asked us to um, speak, thinking we were the World Trade Organization. And that first uh, request, it, it took us literally three months to answer before it even occurred to us that we could say yes. And then we figured out how to say yes, and we took an airplane and we went to Salzburg and we gave a talk about how um, democracy should be abolished because it's not very efficient uh, in the corporate system. It's not a very efficient system for corporate profits. It, it, like public opinion gets in the way all the time. We had a whole layout of how you could abolish democracy and make voting purely a, a symbolic act um, paid for by corporations. So corporations basically get to decide what's up. And it was a thinly veiled kind of, you know, fiction about what what really is the case. Um, and the the shocking and amazing thing was that our audience didn't notice. Yeah, for the most part, there were one or two people in the audience who realized this couldn't be real. But for the most part, they didn't. They were just, yeah, okay. 
And and we proved that. We proved that. We did a whole investigation afterwards to prove that they actually didn't notice a thing. I'm not sure if I have that one on video. Is that one on your website? I'm sorry, because there's no. so many. No, that one isn't, no. right? Okay. But we, we no. have a bunch of other ones. I thought we could show some. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite ones is the survival ball. Let's watch some of that. Is that cool? Yeah. So you want to set this up where this one is? Yeah, so this is uh, in uh, Amelia Island, Florida, at uh, I think the Ritz-Carlton Hotel, and it's a conference on catastrophic loss, which is the insurance industry's term for losses that run into the billions of of dollars, like really, really big insurance problems. And uh, so we attended as Halliburton, and I guess what year was this? Was this 2005 or? Yes. It was like shortly after this sort of uh, real boom for Halliburton, <laughs> um, you know, they, they got all of this infusion for their military operations. They'd previously been, um, you know, an oil services company that then grew under Dick Cheney into an all kinds of things company, including a lot of like military contracting. And, you know, with the um, attendant explosions in um, Iraq and the invasion of Iraq and Afghanistan, um, they were doing really well. So this was our, uh, our, our, we attended this conference as Halliburton and we went there to announce the solution. This was just after Hurricane Katrina. So it was 2005. And so we were announcing Halliburton's t- solution to the problems of climate change, the problems that are brought on by these catastrophic weather events that cause catastrophic loss. Invited to speak on this panel. Um, A lot of you work with the insurance industry, of course. Insurance has become extremely worried about some grave new dangers to people that we're seeing in the world around us today. And I'm, of course, talking about climate change and the disasters that it brings. But I can personally guarantee you that level heads will always be able to turn lemons into lemonade. Uh, Consider the Black Plague. This was an unspeakably rotten event, of course, in which one-third of Europe's population died in great agony. And no one, of course, would wish such a thing on any civilization. Yet without it, without the Black Plague, the old business models of Europe would never have been overturned by the entrepreneurs of the Renaissance. And what would the world be without the Mona Lisa? Or closer to home, how about the Great Deluge? This uh, world-ending disaster, literally, was surely seen as a terrible catastrophe by Noah's contemporaries and perhaps by Noah himself. Yet Noah was ready to seize the day. And at the end of that day, not only was there a whole new world, but Noah found himself with a monopoly of the animals. Uh, For those of us in positions of responsibility, however, who might have to take charge in a crisis, even more innovative solutions are necessary. I'd like now to introduce my colleague here, Dr. Northrop Goody, who's the head of our emergency products development unit at Halliburton. And uh, Dr. Goody will be showing some mock-ups of some uh, items that his unit has developed. We want something that's going to be able to save a human being no matter what Mother Nature throws at him. And so this is the answer. This is the Halliburton Survival Ball. It's three easy steps for deployment, suiting up, inflating, and of course, launching. Launching out of a building, and we have an artist's rendition of what it might be like in Houston when we launch our survivables. In the event of extreme catastrophe, there might be a scarcity of resources. In this case, we've got a survivable here that's going up and extracting resources, um, in this case, from an animal. And you don't want to be exposed to the elements, but you still want to be able to extract resources from, for example, a cow. They're going to be able to go underwater, rated at 50 feet. They can be used in any condition. It doesn't matter whether you're in a landslide in California or even in the Arctic. Of course, any other conditions, whether it's tsunamis or um, tornadoes, the survivable is designed to withstand. But the best part of the survivable is that people need people. And so our biggest inspiration for the way that a community should work with survival balls comes from biology. Um, 
As some of you probably know, um, amoebas gather together and actually form another body. They aggregate. And so these one-celled organisms come together as a single body. For example, here's a raft formation of survival balls in the ocean, floating, communicating, exchanging nutrients, differentiating function. Last of all, this is literally thousands of survival balls uh, dancing through the streets. And um, we'll be happy to take any questions. So uh, if there are any uh, more technical ones for Northrop here or general ones. Yeah. In my mind, this clearly also plays right into terrorist attacks. Uh, what kind of defense mechanisms do you use against biological, chemical, radiological attacks? Uh, if you could demonstrate the turtle position, please, that would be great. Basically, if you duck down... I'll assume they'll have some kind of bubble mask or something. Yeah, yeah. visor, yeah, yeah, yeah. heads-up display, the whole thing. Cool. So. To me, it was just the way it fit. Was yeah. Probably if you're ever going to make them, some people like... But yeah. you want to wear them for a long time, you have more cushioning or something. Yeah. But I can imagine they'd be pretty darn expensive to make sure really market them. Well, yeah. yeah. They, they although are, although yeah. I guess the people who want them will need them. Most of the, you know, the price should be no object, right? If you're getting for say the well, that's right. cabinet, yep. to pick a you know. Hi, Northrop. Gary, how are you? It's very interesting. Um, you know, one of the things that we're trying to do is modeling of terrorism around the world. So, uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and uh, this is clearly you know something that plays right into that kind of an event. Well, it does. That's it. It's you know, much to... more so than you know Katrina. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean. We'd done all we could to show these people what sucked about letting greed run our future. Oh, dear. But instead of freaking out, they just took our business cards. Hello. Wonderful, and if you want to take one of mine here. Our effort had been a failure. It's not very well articulated, really. And come to think of it, all of our efforts had been failures. So that was amazing. How do you guys keep straight faces? You know, it's... it's uh... It's natural because the people you're talking to um, are playing their roles perfectly. So you just kind of get swept into their roles, your role. You know, they they see you as who you're listed on the program as, and they're talking to you, and you're you're from Halliburton, and so you just you know, great. They believe it. You believe it. It's natural. Do you ever almost lose it, like just at yourself? No, uh, you know, because if you, I mean, you think about the people who attend conferences like this or go on TV as PR representatives um, for, for big companies, they're not particularly talented. So you just, if you start cracking up, you just like pretend you're just like having a fun, good hearted chuckle. Right. Having a ball. Yeah. You just transition into that. It's not that hard. Yeah. There's this kind of funny thing where you can't fail. Your performance can fail because people believe you are a real person. So no matter what you do, it's still reality. It still works. And if you're nervous or anxious or weird, you're just, uh, it's kind of in a, in a way endearing because then the, the representative is nervous and anxious and weird, which in a conference environment, people then try to actually help you because they kind of feel bad for you because they all identify with, you know, you like if, if, like if I'm supporting Andy and being like the PR guy, like helping him out, if I'm if I'm like anxious or I'm fumbling something or there's a problem, I can people will help because they identify with you in that context. And and you don't laugh about it because it just does kind of feel real when you're there. It's not and nobody else is laughing. What's funny is to watch people's responses later. You know, and, and if you watch our movies carefully, it's usually the reactions, the reaction shots of people not laughing that are funny to watch. And when you're when you're when you're watching it back, you know, the mediated version, the, the real thing is like somehow not funny at all. Yeah, it's very I mean, it's it's one of these like laugh instead of cry moments. We have another one. Let's just show a short clip of this. The Finland one. Brad, could you play a little bit of that? Hey, we're the Yes Men. We're best known for pulling off pranks against really bad targets. Today, we are relaunching as a group that not only pull off our own crazy pranks, but help others to do the same thing. 
We are rebranding as Metal. Our new website forms a seamless link between your imagination and the reality we can get to through meddlesome actions. Won't you come in? Here is our home page. From here, you can easily find all our material. Talks, correspondence, videos, press. There's also this timeline. It shows why we did what we did, when we did it. Let's go visit a section, say, talks, where you can watch and read all the talks we've given to well-heeled thought leaders over the years. Like this one. We gave this talk to corporate leaders in Finland and demoed a special hip-mounted technology that lets CEOs in the wealthiest countries surveil workers via the metaverse. There are 20 such talks here that you can read or view at your leisure. Let's now go check out some images. Like these dozens of viral images that destroyed Chevron's ad campaign. And by the way, just so people know, all of this is at the Carriage Trade. Carriage Trade Gallery, yeah. Which is where you can see this exhibit now. Now that's meddlesome. This is our video page, where you can watch all of our movies and shorts. You can watch at specific times, or you can watch on demand. Up to you. This page shows all the press our projects have gotten, as well as how we went about getting it, and what purpose it served. We've definitely learned a few lessons. So if you want to get press using meddlesome tactics, we're here to help. This is what we call the three bodies part of our website. One of these bodies matters. That's why it's very protected. These bodies represent people who don't really matter as much, or matter only insofar as they make that body go. Cool, right? We want to help you accomplish your activist goals using outside-the-box techniques. We also want to help you excite students about fighting fire with humor. If you're with an activist organization or school and you want our help, come to our website. Come, come to, to our Metalverse. You can visit either physically here at Carriage Trade in Lower Manhattan or online at www.theyesmen.org. Also, check out our new guidebook, coming out Spring 2023 from OR Books. So what are you up to? Tell us more about this Metalverse and what you're offering people. <laughs> um, besides the art show that doubles as our website, or vice versa, um, we're offering, we're basically coaching, we're offering coaching, um, services to small uh, organizations or large ones that have a particular activist goal in mind and want to do kind of tricks, uh, not dirty tricks, but clean tricks, the kind that we do um, for the sake of uh, achieving their aims. And if you go to our website, thesmen.org, you'll see a bunch of recent ones uh, where uh, all we've done basically is coach organizations on what to do. They've kind of figured it out, done the, it's not rocket science, but that's the main thing that we're, we're sort of announcing with that, with that very confusing, weird video. People loved it though. People kept saying in the chat how funny it is. It's also, of course, just uh, an opportunity to poke fun at the the metaverse and at, at Mark Zuckerberg. And, you know, we, we got to do ourselves a makeover. You know, it was time for us to don the blue jeans and turtlenecks. We've been wearing those suits for years, you know, 30 mm -hmm. years in those suits. It's, Time to get up to date, you know, join the, the, the tech revolution. And your Steve Jobs future. Yeah, I got my rocket. We're building the rocket ship, too. We're going to do it. We're going to get to the moon as well or something like that. Space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of it. All the time. Something that you do in The Yes Men Are Revolting, which is the third documentary that you guys made, is you have this interesting discussion about whether any of this matters that I found really relatable. Where are you on that issue? Maybe. 
Um, you know, there's, there's, there's a lot, that's a big question. I mean, we have a, a, another project or a related project called Actipedia.org, and it has a bunch of projects, thousands of projects, actually, that people have submitted. It's pretty open. But of those, we've selected the ones that we feel have actually achieved something. There are probably many more that have, but we've found a few that are like, oh, that definitely achieved change, and here's how. So we, we have, you know, for those, we have like, this is how this project achieved change. This is how this other project achieved change. Um, and there are various ways they can. Um, it's not enough to just raise awareness. It's not enough. You know, a lot of our projects are like uh, about raising awareness, which is all well and, and good. But journalism does the job a lot better. And <laughs> there's there's not a lot of reason for, for artists to do that. Um, yeah, but there, there is a reason to think about like how a particular project can, can do something in the world. Like this one that you see there at the front of, of Actopedia, the kissing doesn't kill. That's this group, Grand Fury who were artists. Yeah. They were artists that were associated with act up. Um, but they decided that what they would do is really focus on how they could use their art to, uh, affect policy and they focused entirely on that they put up bus ads they they did all sorts of things um with their art and they used all of their artistic skills they were brilliant really accomplished artists um but they never referenced the art world and they didn't care what the art world thought about this um nevertheless they were exhibited in the art world because the art world loves you know a lot of different things so yeah that's another great example right there you know, and that that this this uh, that motto, silence equals death, as well as the the pink triangle, was their work, and it, it you know helped helped to spread Act Up's message far and wide. So you know, that's an example of art art actually achieving something, and we we hope that in our best cases we we do something. Yeah, sometimes you got to take the long view because um, a lot of these actions are momentary, and they're part of. A campaign, the campaigns in turn are part of social movements. Um, and then movements uh, in the long run often do have successes. They have successes and setbacks and successes and setbacks. So if you look at something like where we are at in the United States in you know relation to uh, the rights of African Americans, you know there there was slavery in the 1850s. Then there was um, you know, slavery was illegal, but then there were ways in which it was rolled back because people were, um, you know, the Voting um, uh, Rights Act uh, needed to be passed then in the 60s. So there's this kind of like these waves of pushing and fighting. And during a lot of the sort of, uh, let's say, in the in the in the troughs between the waves, it often feels like things are completely failing. Like, uh, you know, we have we. We so, right now we have this global kind of infatuation in a lot of places with the kind of fascism again. You know, didn't think that was going to happen. You know, ten years ago <laughs> when Obama was being elected, but 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 then it happened, and um, so it feels like a failure. And yet we might see in the course. I hope we see in the course of of uh, of history that we'll continue to make progressive change. Um, so that's, I mean, I think that's where we're at right now. We have to say all of these movements, though, are characterized by symbolic actions. Then those are the things that we often remember as the things that are important in the movement. You know, the story of, uh, you know, classic thing like Rosa Parks, uh, you know, not yielding her seat or uh, uh, not yielding her seat on the bus for a, a, a white man. You know, that's it was a symbolic action that was transgressive that. And that's the story that we remember and retell, or one of the many mm -hmm. stories in the civil rights movement. Yeah, and that action, the Rosa Parks action, was a very carefully crafted action. I mean, that was not arbitrary, that not spontaneous, very carefully thought through. And and you can read all about that in, in various ways. Um, and sometimes it is enough just to be part of a movement. Sometimes it you get lucky and you can actually make a, a difference with one action like recently we did we worked with a group that wanted to get starbucks to stop charging extra for plant-based milks 
and um, we they actually we it actually succeeded to our to my surprise um, very quickly it succeeded in the UK Starbucks dropped its its plant based surcharges so as a kind of test balloon for what it would be like in the US they haven't done it yet in the US but but yeah occasionally you get lucky in the prank has an immediate result, but usually, as Mike said, it's part of a bigger picture. Yeah, I'll play that Starbucks thing in a second, but I was just going to say that one of the other things that I personally think is of value is that having like fun and humor and joy in organizing and in movements, I think is very nourishing and helps probably prevent burnout. Not that you guys aren't burnt, don't get burnt out and you kind of explore that in the, in the films, but I do think that we have to bring that into political work. If we want people to join, people to stay, if we want to reach people who may not be reached by more important pavement pounding work. So I really appreciate that aspect of it too. Yeah, no, that can be really fun and important. The um, And energizing, yeah. And energizing, yeah. There's a, a good video for that after this, if you want. For over 50 years, Starbucks has strived to bring us closer together. But did you know that the milk we drink is tearing us apart? Yep, a startling 65% of the world's population can't digest dairy. That works out as 95% of Asians, 60 to 80% of Black people, 80 to 100% of Native Americans, and 50 to 80% of Latinx people. Here at Starbucks, inclusivity and justice are not only a part of our culture, they're our priority. That's why we're introducing the Justice Cup, a dairy-free solution dedicated to bringing us closer together, something we can all enjoy. By choosing to add oat, soy, almond, or coconut milk to your favorite Starbucks drink, you are making a switch for good, for yourself, for your community, for our planet. We're fully committed to the wellness of our customers. So we've decided to put our money where our mouth is. Starting in 2022, we'll be increasing the price of our drinks that include dairy and reducing the cost of our plant-based beverages, meaning you save when you choose to go dairy-free. So many of our customers around the world are lactose intolerant. Plant-based milks aren't a luxury, they're a necessity. Honoring the times we're in is one of our core missions here at Starbucks. It only takes one person, one justice cup, one neighborhood at a time to make meaningful change. And that change starts now. So what happened here? Yeah, so that um, that was taken as real. Um, that went out, big press release, and was taken as real by... Uh, Business Insider and a bunch of other fake uh, fake news magazines. Uh, <laughs> um, but I mean, Business Insider happens to be actually kind of fake. Um, you know, they they actually can can be bought. Um, but there were there were other more legitimate outlets that also fell for it, and then used that kind of like kind of falling for it as part of the story that they then told. And it, it created a pretty big stir in the media, at least the vegan media and the activist media around this issue. And um, Starbucks didn't react until a month later when they dropped their vegan milk surcharge. And this was kind of adding this whole new idea of dietary racism to the dialogue. There's you know, a lot about climate change, the effects of dairy and so on and so forth and the ethical question. But this added a whole new dimensions. So it's it's unusual to to have a, a project that works that precisely, but it, it did. And that, that you know gotta take our victories where we get them. Yeah, that's great. And what else is next? Anything else you want to make sure that people know about? We are in the middle of beginning a project around the current situation in Ukraine and the implications for America. And I guess I can't say much more than that without giving it away, but people can support us at the yesmen.org slash donate. They can support us in our general work um, and help us to do things without charging. Like everybody, we have to make a living. So yeah, if you want to support us, the yesmen.org slash donate is 
where you can help. You can also go to our mailing list um, link from our front page and sign up and uh, offer your services. Like if you want to volunteer to help, you know, make, um, make videos or, or participate in things, um, you can enter your city and, and what, what sorts of ways you might want to help. And then if something comes up, which it very well may, um, yeah, we'll send, send you a note. Great. Well, thank you guys so much and come back and everyone should check out the exhibit. It's a great exhibit. Thanks for having us. Yeah, of course. Thanks. All righty. Thank you guys so much. The yes, men. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye. All right. That was great. So excited to have those guys stop by. We are going to be bringing Lee Camp into the chat momentarily. But before we do that, everyone, please take this moment to like the stream. Just everyone press like, smash that like, like that smash. Really big fans of these guys also. So make sure you you check out their website. Also, everyone, make sure that you go to the call-in link that I put in the description. That way you can ask Lee some questions. Just waiting for Lee to, to, to pop in. Lee Camp, welcome. Hey. Comedian, satirist author also host up until very recently of redacted tonight also also unemployed also unemployed yes yeah. yeah so lee tell us what happened why are you unemployed let's just start from the beginning yeah i've uh, i i co-created uh, hosted and was the head writer of redacted tonight for the past eight years doing 300 and something like 70 episodes and in the span of a matter of hours uh, rt america where my show was hosted was shut down, ending plenty of other wonderful shows like Jesse Ventura's show, Chris Hedges. And uh, yeah, it was instantaneous. They gave us very little information. I'm assuming there's really only two possibilities, even though the mainstream media articles about it are not proposing these. But it seems pretty obvious that it was either uh, literally the Justice Department or, or whatever government agency saying, you're done, get out of here, or sanctions that were designed to make it literally a crime for RT America to continue to operate. So it's possible the executives at RT America were suddenly under risk of arrest. But those are the only two things that I can come up with that would, and you know, I have no inside info, but those are the only two things that I can imagine would cause instantaneous shutdown. Anything else like, oh, they got dropped from this platform or that platform, that might hurt them, but it's not going to cause instant shutdown. Okay, so it's not just that, oh, we're not going to be able to make money because no one's carrying us anymore. You think that no. it was something more severe? To me, that makes no sense. I mean, for one thing, they had plenty of money for to operate for several months, even if they brought in zero new money. And then beyond that, they had a bustling online presence. Like, they would have continued to be seen by millions of people. And, and also, if it were like, uh, you know, oh, we've got a staffing shortage and we don't have enough money. They probably would have cut back to just RT News or something, but there was none of that. It was just everything is gone instantly. And so the only thing that would that would ever cause that would be a fear of, uh, you know, the executives getting arrested or literally just the Justice Department saying they're shut down because this has been a steady ongoing crushing of RT America, you know, our the numbers of my show and all of the shows have been heavily suppressed online for the past four years, ever since Trump got into office, four or five years. And we were labeled with scarlet letters all over us. Oh my God, they have something to do with Russia. And it, it was just crazy. It was garbage. And it's it, 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 for anyone to celebrate this kind of McCarthyism, this kind of mass censorship. I was censored on three platforms in the span of three days. My YouTube videos of Redacted Tonight were banned throughout Europe and the UK. My show was gone. And on top of that, my personal podcast, Moment of Clarity, was deleted from Spotify in three days. And the idea that anyone would celebrate this level of censorship is really tragic and even, you know, the guests you just had on who I have worshipped in the past, apparently they're celebrating this censorship as well, the Yes Men. But, you know, they've done some great stuff, but they need to re-examine why they would celebrate censorship right now. So one of the things that I find interesting about what happened is that a lot of people, as you were saying, were celebrating censorship, saying that it's propaganda that comes out of RT America. 
no one really can defend the idea that it's state media in a way that like CBC isn't, right? Because CBC and, and BBC, they don't have to say Canadian media or British media. And what people say is that, no, there's just no dissent allowed. But what I will say is that I had Chris Hedges on my show and he wrote a piece and has said on his show that what Putin did was illegal and unjust. And he fully condemned it. As have I on my show and on my videos. I mean, I didn't get many videos that dealt with the Ukraine crisis because we were already taping before it happened. And then I did a YouTube video on it, but then we were canceled before I could address it. So there was very little I got to talk about you, the Ukraine crisis. But I said clearly in all my videos that I was opposed to this. I think Russia's invasion is wrong. But I also give context to what's going on in the situation, you know, how NATO has expanded over the years, how there are literally Nazi with Nazi emblems like fucking swastikas on their helmets involved in the Donbass region. And giving context, if people think giving context is somehow justifying that's utter nonsense. We should be intelligent. We should understand the context of these issues. You know, I can give context for why Martin Luther King was murdered. That doesn't mean I'm justifying the murder of Martin Luther King. Like the idea that give that understanding a full situation and that the U.S. has done everything they can to push further and further into Russia's borders and create a military alliance that is pushing onto them. That doesn't mean I defend or support the killing of any civilians. And I was able to say that on RT America. I was never censored. I was never told what to say. I was never told not what to say. I have never been censored at RT America. And other people who have worked at multiple networks, they worked at, uh, Ben Swan worked at CBS, Fox News, and NBC, and then RT. And he said, by far, the network where he had the most freedom to speak was RT America. Brian Fredericks writes, one of the few things that the right and left can agree on is more censorship. That does seem to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I know that Russian cats have been banned from certain competitions. Like, I'm not I'm not kidding. Did you see that? I can find the article. What, what is a Russian cat? A cat from Russia? Actually, I don't know. That's a good question. And also, I have to verify this because I just saw a friend of show, Kate Willett, just tweeted out someone named Lena, who is, I guess, a Twitch partner, Russian born from Iceland, from ICE. I don't know if she means Iceland or ICE or that's a way of identifying. I'm not sure about. So PayPal has stopped working in Russia today and Twitch will no longer pay Russian streamers. Thank you very much for cutting my only source of income. I'm sure this will solve all the world's problems. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, it's, I mean, it's a level of neo-McCarthyism that is just unheard of. People, you know, pouring vodka into the streets and stuff. This is garbage nationalism beyond just the current conflict. The idea that everybody is their nation is just stupid. It's 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 jingoistic, you know, nationalistic garbage that, you know, we are not all the same people. There are a lot of people that love Donald Trump that I don't consider people that I would like to hang out with. But supposedly I'm just supposed to defend everything Biden and the U.S. military does because I'm American. The idea that every Russian is Putin is laughable and it's a level of just ignorance that is just breathtaking. What kind of experiences did you have at RT America? What were the types of things that you, like the context you were providing on your show or other shows that now are not going to have a home until, unless the shows are picked up elsewhere? Oh my God, so many of the issues that I brought up on Redacted Tonight, which I like the irony of Redacted Tonight finally being ended by uh, being redacted, but... The number of issues I was able to bring up that are just unheard of on your mainstream media, attacks by corporate America, just, you know, the the horror show that is factory farming, climate change, even though it's mentioned by mainstream media, gets very little. If you look at the actual number of minutes of coverage by mainstream media, it is tiny. The fact that the U.S. is the number one prison state in the world, both by number and per capita, There there are just so many levels, $21 trillion of unaccounted for adjustments in our Pentagon, a number that no one can fathom. The 6 million, those are the latest estimates, 6 million dead from our war on terror over the past 20 years. These are the type of things I was able to cover weekly on Redacted Tonight. Many of the issues that the Yes Men highlight, like the Dow chemical spill or Chevron's oil spill in Ecuador and Stephen Donziger and Assange. 
so many topics I was able to highlight on a weekly basis on Redacted Tonight that get essentially zero coverage on your mainstream media because they don't fit with corporate America, which is, you know, corporate America owns our government, essentially. So they don't fit with State Department talking points. And so they are not seen on your mainstream media. It's really sad. Right. I mean, that's one of the things that a lot of people bring up. There's no dissent allowed, even though obviously people like you have condemned Putin, have called out things that the alleged government that controls your channel would not like to hear. But the other thing that no one talks about is that people here, there's no dissent here. I mean, we saw what happened to Phil Donahue, right, when he opposed the war in Iraq. Right. And there is, I actually find it like, I find in some ways it much more, it's kind of like refreshingly straightforward when you have a news channel that's associated with the state government, because it's very clear what, to the extent that there are, right, maybe like a bias. For the news division, I'd say that's true, that RT said we are, they at least used to say, we are the Russian perspective of the world. And BBC used to say, I mean, I think they've covered it up since, but BBC used to say we're the British perspective of the world. And that's how you should view their news department. I think for the opinion shows like mine and Jesse Ventura, you should take us each for ourselves and figure out what we stand for. Right. But you don't have this is the, you know, Raytheon view of the world, (laughs) which is what you're really getting with when it comes to corporate television. Right. With no overt affiliation. I mean, you have to look at who runs these networks or who their donors are. But also Andy is still here. And I know that you said something about the yes men praising censorship. So can I bring him in to respond to that? Sure, we can chat. All I said was that I know he was uh, excited, I guess, that RT America was shut down. And my view on that is that it seems to be a misunderstanding of what RT America was. If you think it was just spouting Putin talking points, then you don't understand it. And of course, I've had them on for interviews, which shows what I'm willing to show in my my TV show. You know. All right, let's so let's do this. We like to squash beef at this show. So Andy, welcome back. You're muted. Oh wait, Andy's muted. I didn't do that. Putin muted Andy. Yeah, no, I uh, I cheered when um, you mentioned that, you know, RT had been um, taken off. And it wasn't because um, I don't like RT America or don't like, you know, what sorts of things are on there. I, I uh, all I know of RT America is your show and I love it. But um, but just that there has been this outrageously huge uh, response in general and I wasn't thinking about the censorship side so much as like, wow, like it's unprecedented that the world reacts to a, an autocrat in this way. Like it's never happened before. And this is Putin's war. It's not Russia's war. Um, so it's a large target, though, because he, he's, you know, got Russia behind his name. Um, so it just it, it feels unprecedented and amazing that that this is happening. And this is just another little you know, example that, yeah, may be misguided in the particular of it. And I do hope it comes back, but, you know. Yeah, fair, fair, fair enough. Uh, so, I, but I would say there's a reason that the world has reacted in this new way that we haven't seen. And it's because it's 24-7 coverage on your mainstream media outlets. Whereas we've killed, you know, we've helped kill with our bombs, Saudi Arabia, 377,000 people in Yemen, and there's zero, essentially zero coverage. More people are going to die in Afghanistan from our economic war this year than died from our bombs. Mm -hmm. And there's zero coverage. Mm -hmm. Uh, 100,000 people dead in Venezuela from our economic war on them and zero coverage. So it's a choice by the mainstream media to cover only this. And it's because it serves a propaganda purpose for the U.S. and NATO, which is a military alliance. So. I get that it, it's nice to see people care about civilian deaths, but I think we need to look at the big picture. Yeah, yeah. And and also Ukrainians are white. That helps. Surely that has a role to play. <laughs> De- yeah. Definitely helps. Yeah. No, I mean, there's there's no there's no questioning that there's a disproportionate response. There should have been this response to the F word Iraq war where we killed an entire who knows how many, like there's no counting, sure, uh, certainly a lot more than have been killed so far in Ukraine. But the Landsat guess is a million. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's way more than have died so far, probably more, hopefully more, more than will be killed. Um, but, but, you know, the enemy is the, the perfect is the enemy of the good. This is like, this is good. There, there's this 
universal outrage. There's this um, uniting of everybody behind this, behind opposition to what's going on. And yeah, it would be better if that had happened with Iraq effectively. I don't think it's just that there's a double standard. I think that is a double standard, but I also think we have to look at what this opposition is turning into, right? right? So I think it's really great to condemn killing civilians, but if the opposition is turning into like, we're going to cut off Russian streamers, you know, people who were born and live in Russia, or if it's like, let's have a no-fly zone. I mean, that's what's scary to me is like, I'm not saying, I think when we can walk this line Phyllis Bennis came on my show and I really like what she had to say. She said that what Putin did was not unprovoked, but it was unjustified. But her solution to that isn't rah-rah, go team USA. It's diplomacy, it's negotiate, and it's acknowledging the complexity of it. And that is what is scaring me. And I feel like we haven't, I feel like we haven't seen this on the left, this kind of like jingoism that we're seeing now. Those are all great points. And you're right that this is leading, the so-called care for Ukrainian civilians is leading to actually more war. People want to arm Ukrainians, you know, send send them missiles and things. But as Scott Ritter, the former UN weapons inspector who, uh, obvi- you know, everyone knows, called the no WMD in Iraq and said it on every network and had his life destroyed for it. Uh, he said, look, the outcome of this is known. This is one of the most powerful militaries in the world going up against one of the least powerful militaries in the world. And the outcome of this is known. So the question is, are we going to have diplomacy and a peace process that stops so many people from dying uh, right now and stops us from being on the brink of nuclear war? Or are we going to cheer for just an endless kind of morass of killing that is what right now it seems like the U.S. kind of wants. The U.S. is realizing this is a propaganda win. This is a win for uh, NATO alliances to be everyone be anti-Russia. So they're kind of cheering and working for this to continue and more people to die in, in back channels. I'm not talking about your average American citizen. So you're right. This is What is this turning into? And a lot of people don't understand that a no-fly zone is basically nuclear war because if NATO declares a no-fly zone, they then have to shoot down Russian jets. You shoot down Russian jets, you end up in nuclear war. And that's why they're not doing it, right? That's why they're 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 refusing. Yeah, yeah, no, and that is why, why they voted against it. But seventy-four percent of Americans support a no-fly zone because they don't understand what it means. Well, they're yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's yeah, but the, fortunately, that NATO is refusing to to do that for good reason, and you know. I would say, yeah, sending American troops there would be absolutely insane. But, you know, sanctions and so on is is not necessarily the same thing. I mean, this well, is... That's a, how do we... You know, what? I, the, I mean, I'm against sanctions in general, but there is talk about targeted sanctions. I'm not really aware of how feasible and doable those are. I've never seen the U.S. put in play sanctions that don't actually just hurt common people. Yeah. <laughs> They usually just hurt the poor because the oligarchs of any country aren't going to be hurt that much by saying, you know, they lose a billion and they're they're okay, Right. (laughs) Yeah. It's just hard to imagine what can be done, you know, besides this. uh, You know, what can we do besides just say, oh, well, (laughs) no, not oh well. But one is to, you know, and I don't I don't love it, but one is to give Russia the promises they've been asking for for 20 years, which is no Ukraine and NATO and, and other areas not joining NATO and. Uh, you know, they've been asking for many things that we've kind of ignored or promises we've reneged on. We promised NATO would never go past Germany, and we've done it many times. The alliance has grown to 17 countries, I believe. And again, this is no, doesn't mean I think what they're doing is fine, but you look at what America would be doing if we were surrounded by a military alliance of 17 countries that were all aligned with Russia. And also they created a coup in Mexico and put neo-Nazis in a a position of power that were then killing Americans on the American border. I think we might overreact. (laughs) I think we might. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. I, I mean, it's not my area of specialty. So all I know is I'm horrified like so many people about this and I don't know what to do. Yeah. I feel helpless. So, yeah. You know, yeah. That's the bottom line. I just think that the arming Ukraine, I keep saying this, it's a very uncomfortable thing to talk about because it sounds like you're just saying, oh, I don't care. Let these people do whatever they want. But given that they can't outarm Russia, it is setting up just more bloodshed. And you don't have to be an isolationist, I think, to see that. 
And what really scares me now more than anything, like I'm, we can have this conversation right now and I'm not calling you a name, Andy, you're not calling me a name, you're not calling Lee a name. What really scares me now, honestly, is that I've been seeing more and more people just smear people as a tanky or as a Putinist or repeating Russian talking points as if you can't have points of view that maybe will overlap. Like I've condemned what Putin did. I think it's unjust and illegal. I also don't think we should be arming Ukraine. And the fact that Putin says we shouldn't arm Ukraine doesn't make me a Putinist. And I've been seeing this all over. And what that just does is stifle all discussion, all debate, and really just benefits, I mean, the arms industry. And those are the people who are benefiting the most from this. And it's a really scary time. You know, I tweeted the other day, I'm, I'm as much a Putinist as I was a Saddamist, you know? Like the idea that your positions on these things makes you a puppet for something I find it really frustrating and I'm seeing it more and more here than I've seen it in the past even. And yeah, again, even if you, you could think that Putin was the worst ruler in the world and you could think that like Ukraine deserves to be part of NATO. But if you care about Ukrainian civilians, you don't want Ukraine armed. That's my, I know a lot of people disagree with me. There are of course Ukrainians who will disagree with me, but they're not a monolith. And it's just really complicated stuff. And again, Just the fact that we, I mean, you obviously, everyone here knows that the U.S. is not motivated by humanitarian concern (laughs) or else we'd stop killing, you know, I know it's laughable, right? Like you brought up Saudi Arabia and Yemen. I mean, there's a record level of unprecedented cholera. Children are starving. We're supporting Saudi bombs. Defensive operations, no longer offensive ones, whatever the fuck that means. And for those who don't know, it wasn't just selling Saudi Arabia these weapons, which is part of it. We literally were running operations helping block off the ports to Yemen that created the famine. So it wasn't just weapons. It was like helping them create famine. Yeah. Someone just wrote, Chris Wingler wrote, U.S. citizen and one of my courses on Coursera engineering was just canceled because it was affiliated with a Russian university. That's so insane. Yeah. And this this is also the Chinese professors at universities in the U.S. that are getting kicked out. It's this type of nationalism is disgusting. It's it's idiotic. And there's a lot of fake news that we have to be on the, you know, all the people who say like RT needs to be canceled because of fake news. There's so much fake news being spread. And that's just sometimes happens because you can't verify it. But well, and something, Katie, that you mentioned earlier is that many of the people on RT America are there because they were purged from mainstream airwaves. So, you know, I I would my stuff has never been acceptable for mainstream airwaves. If you're anti-imperialist and anti-war and anti-corporate America, you aren't going to be on there. But there's people like Chris Hedges, who were a Pulitzer Prize winning 10-year with the New York Times war correspondent, came out against the Iraq war, and he was forced out of the New York Times. Jesse Ventura, a lot of people don't know, was going to be the tent pole of MSNBC, like their main show. They gave him a multi, multi-million dollar contract. They found out, this is before the Iraq war, they found out he was anti-war, and they said, can you change your stance? He said, absolutely not. They paid him upwards of $10 million just to go away, just to not be on their airwaves. I mean, that is how severe they are pro-war on these networks. Phil Donahue, MSNBC's biggest show, was kicked off for being anti-war. Ed Schultz kicked off of MSNBC and ended up at RT America just because he supported Bernie Sanders. That was it. He wasn't even a you know crazy leftist. He was a Bernie guy, and that was unacceptable. That That's what you're dealing with, and that's what RT America gave a home to, was these people who were outside of corporate America's talking points. Yeah. Brad said to me, let's say for argument's sake that RT America is pure propaganda, wouldn't it still be good to know what that propaganda is so you can counter, engage it, laugh at it? By banning it, you can't even begin to counter what you aren't aware of. Well, you know you know what that reminds me of is I did a live stream with my... Uh, my podcast, Government Secrets, and it was about the neo-Nazis in, you know, in Ukraine, but also there's plenty in America. And simply by saying the word Nazi, our stream was shut off on TikTok, and I think uh, we can't even stream again. But so that means that, you know, and they're doing that because they don't want pro-Nazi content, but it means you can never see anti-Nazi stories. Like, no one can even know what the Nazis are up to. (laughs) Yeah, our history, yeah. Russian restaurants and small businesses are not targeted. This is the inevitable result of team sport mentality. I do think it is team sport mentality. Yeah. And it just doesn't, again, I'm just like, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's not going to work. You can hate Putin all you want. I mean, it hasn't, we tried to do sanctions in 
where Cuba, Venezuela, Syria, right? Like, regardless of what you think of the people there, they're all still in power. The bad guys are still in power. So you just cause suffering. And you can actually galvanize opposition towards the West. I mean, we've seen that happen, right? It's a great David and Goliath story. There's a great clip of Rex Tillerson on, on video giving a speech. This is when he was Secretary of State under Donald Trump. And he said, we know our sanctions against North Korea are working because our economic war on them is working because the fishermen are having to fish longer and longer into the season because everyone's starving and they're dying on the ships. And then the ships with their bodies wash up in South Korea and we find them. And that means our sanctions are working. So basically, he literally said on camera, starving fishermen dying is our goal. That's yay, America. We did it. I mean, that's awful. Yeah, it really is. Well, Lee, what are you going to be doing next? I mean, where can we find your work? And are you, do you have any, thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy. See, I'm really, I want to thank everyone. I really want, appreciate in this time of this neo-McCarthyite bullshit. I really do appreciate that we could just have that conversation and that no one was calling anyone names. So I just want to thank you guys for doing that. I really appreciate that. And again, people keep writing these pieces about how, and they're calling people out like John Pilger, Robert Fisk, Cy Hirsch. It's like, really? You want to call it Cy Hirsch? All right, I'll be on Cy Hirsch's team. I'll be on John Pilger's team. But there are these, there was an op-ed in The Guardian about this. Then you had someone writing at, at The Intercept, don't be a tanky, how the left should respond to Ukraine. And a lot of times what people are saying who are condemning us as tankies, what they're saying is condemn and they either leave out what they want policy-wise, but it's often just sanctions. And just just own that. Just say that that you want sanctions. Well, sanctions sounds nice, kind of like no fly zone sounds kind of friendly. Exactly. And it sounds like it's not a war, but it is warfare. It's and it's murderous. They're murderous sanctions that kill. Right. But it it's an economic war that can kill thousands. Uh, you know, thousands are dying in Syria because of our economic war on them. I mean, honestly, you ask an average American, do you want to stop? a baby from getting medicine in Syria or Venezuela or Iran, like, would that make you happy or feel like we're winning? And they'd say no, but that's what our economic wars are. Right, right, which we need to communicate. Thanks, Brad. What? And then we're going to switch to Colin soon, but Brad, let us know your thoughts. Yeah, re- real quick. And before I say this, I also just wanted to thank Andy, you know, I know he left, but for coming on, because I think that these sorts of conversations, like, this is the kind of stuff that needs to happen where people can disagree or whatever and everyone's an adult and we can have the talk. But anyway, I also just thought wanted to bring up this thing from the New York times. I thought was relevant to your conversation that basically it's saying these various things that have been reported on while not necessarily true are a key part of Ukraine's war plan (laughs) as it tries to keep morale high. (laughs) And I just thought it was relevant because The issue that I take is the lack of consistency here. So like either you are against lies and propaganda and whatnot, or you're not. And when we see the actions that cause outstanding programs like Lee's to no longer be around with the reasoning being, oh, we don't want misinformation out there. Well, then you should, I should not be reading a headline like that from the New York Times. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that's crazy. Which, which just makes so... It's just so fucked up, man. So Yeah, the double standards are, yeah, are crazy. The, yeah. The, so that's basically like, like empathizing with misinformation. Yeah. Right. They're, they're like, we've been helping spread fake news, but, you know, it's important for Ukraine. We got to keep right. up the, the morale, yeah. Like, we're good with Ukraine's lies. Anyway, you know what I'm saying. I just wanted to yeah. point that out. So No, thanks, yeah, man. thanks, Brad, for pointing that. Yeah. Well, this so, has been great. Oh, yeah, keep going, Lee. Oh, I was just going to answer your earlier question about what I'm doing now. Oh, yeah, yes, of course, yeah. I don't actually know. I might be uh, busking on the corner of 14th and G uh, later tonight. But uh, no, I'm, I'm, I have created the Patreon you see on the screen, patreon.com slash Lee Camp. I'm going to see if I'm able to get enough supporters to maybe create something. You know, it won't be quite redacted tonight. I, I will never have that kind of budget. But uh, it, it hopefully will have the same... Uh, feeling and passion and uh i'll be able to create something that uh is is equally important um and then in the meantime while i uh 
try and figure out what that is. I'd still have many other projects, you know, my podcast, Government Secrets and Common Censored and uh, videos and articles. So uh, yeah, if anyone wants to support a Patreon, that'd be awesome. Yeah, definitely support Lee's Patreon. And I want to thank you and offer my, I don't know if I want to, what do I say condolences, but I'm outraged. People are making a mistake. This is not a direction that we want to be going in. It's basically creating the conditions for war, whether immediately or in the long term. Again, Abby Martin was incredibly critical of what Russia was doing back in 2014. They didn't stifle her. She left the network, but she always said she had full creative control. A lot of people have rewritten history and said that she was fired after she came out against Russia. She was there for another year before she left for to do her own thing. So, yeah, completely false that she was stifled. So just look into things. Don't accept a lot of the talking points. Also, again, when people just say that someone's a Putinist or a tanky or they're spewing talking points, a lot of anti-war stuff is smeared and, and distorted that way. And you should be able to disagree with someone and their substance and also be able to present your own argument without being emotional about it, without smearing their character. And if the only thing that you can say is that it's a, a Putin talking point, then you either probably don't know what you're talking about or you're being disingenuous. And there are a lot of people who want for there to be negotiation now, as Phyllis Bennis said, all wars end in negotiation and diplomacy. So the only question is how much bloodshed is there going to be before that happens? Yeah. So people really need to be pushing for that and don't be seduced by vilification. And again, I've condemned what Putin did, but the question is, what do we want now? Do we want to just be arming Ukraine so that they can have more weapons and more people are killed? Or do we want to actually see a solution that brings an end to this conflict? Yeah. And I think we know what the answer is. But I've never experienced such a kind of like peer pressure to say certain things or not say certain things. And I know you've you've felt that a lot because you're at RT, Lee. You were, you were at RT, America. But it's a scary moment. And I know that you get a lot of shit for saying things. So I salute you and thank you. When we were doing stand-up together 15 years ago, uh, I don't know if I was voted most likely to be shut down by government sanctions. Yeah, yeah, we should have uh, we should have done that. We should have taken a, a bet on that, yeah. So, all right, we're going to go on to Colin. Thank you again, everyone. Support Lee, support his work. Don't be dupes. Don't let people be smeared. Look into things and, you know, question why we're arming people and who's really benefiting from that. See you on Colin. It's a free app, and we will take your questions and be there shortly. And again, thank you so much. And everyone, please like the stream whenever you watch the show, whether it's live or later on, just hit the like. It's a way that you can support the show for free. And of course, if you want, become Patreon supporters at patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. And definitely subscribe. That's great. Okay. Love you all. See you soon. Bye, everyone. Thanks again for listening to The Katie Helper Show. If you like the show, please join the Patreon at patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And as always, we remind you that this show could not happen without the support of our listeners. Our show is produced by me, Katie Helper, Nick Palm. Brad Bloom is our audio engineer and an associate producer on the show. Our researcher is Joshua Bregman. And our theme song is by the band Cordova. See you next time.